Aussie Villains podcast. It's Paul and Spud. How are we, mate? Very good, Matt. How are you? Oh, well, it will come to it in a moment um, because a bit of dreamland, I think, mate. Um, dare to believe, I think. Dare to believe. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's just what a time to be a Villa fan. I mean... Uh, look, if you don't enjoy the journey, don't follow the sport. You know, don't wait for the destination. Enjoy every single moment. I've, I've said it about every sport I've ever followed, Spud. You've got to... Each little win is a massive little memory for you, I think. Oh, absolutely, mate. And, like, uh, time hasn't really allowed me to be on the, the, the Villa podcast recently, but... Uh, I'm so glad to be back on tonight because what a buzz like to be a Villa fan. And as you say, like if you can't, if you cannot enjoy it at the moment, I don't think you'll ever enjoy sports as a Villa fan if you don't enjoy the moment. That like you know, it's just it's incredible what's going on. Like I, I just can't believe this is happening. That's in Villa, you know. Oh no, well, nor can I. And and, and you know, um, we keep harping back to the journey, but you know, only a few years ago we were really playing poorly in the championship. Um, we, we, we've had the relegation issues, financial fair play, some hor- horrible owners. Let's be honest. They, they're probably not horrible people, but they were horrible owners for us. And we've gone through a lot as a club. I know clubs have gone through worse, so I'm not saying, you know, I can't really speak for other clubs. But we had a horrible few years, Spud. Just, the, the football was dross. Unreal. I, like, I remember, like, getting out of bed in, in, in 2000 and say from 2014 to 2016 at three o'clock in the morning to watch games and just swirling around that bathtub just waiting to get relegated one year and Christian Benteke just single-handedly keeping us up a lot of years and I still got up every morning and watched the game but down to the championship under Di Matteo and it was difficult but I was still up every morning in Australia watching every game on a Tuesday and then championship you know how relentless it is Saturday or Tuesday Sunday Wednesday you know it just, yeah. it just and, and but still I, like, I remember going to work some days getting out of bed three o'clock in the morning going to work after us losing three nil to Wigan on a Tuesday morning like or a Wednesday morning and yes. just getting out of bed at three o'clock and you know it's just you know but I did it I loved it still even though and that was painful to watch so you can imagine what it's like you now just bouncing out of bed or staying up to watch games and looking forward to every game and there was a period like because of my love of the club it became like a chore but a, a chore that I would miss no matter how bad things got you know but now it's like oh bring on the next game you know just yeah, it's just a, it's just a great time, and you know I think Villa fans deserve this. We've been, and there's going to be other clubs that are going to say, "Oh, what you mean? You deserve it. You won European Cups. You won this. You, we've, what have we ever won?" But like, what we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, like it's, it's yeah, and the people that have stuck by it and supported it's just, just unbelievable. And yeah, I just, I just so happy at the moment. Mate, it's, you know what's going to be so funny, Spud? We. Um... We're not a club that's associated with band, you know, bandwagon supporters, for lack of a better term. But you could see in the next few years a whole new generation of supporters around the world that, you know, if there wasn't a top four or top five for a few years, you're going to see all these kids following Villa players and wearing Villa tops. And there's this stuff that we have not had that. Like, we've not had that in our lifetime where we're around the world people support Villa. I mean, we yeah. know they do. We know they do, but I'm talking in mass numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah, where they're, they're, where, where they're actually picking Villa for a reason other than association or being from Ireland or, you know, like like yourself, you know, because they like the jersey or, you know, like an, a connection to the Irish players. They're actually going to start following Villa because it's Villa now. 
Like, and, and what I mean by that is that I was, I was working with a scouser recently there, big Evertonian fan, like, you know, we yeah. used to go to all the games and he lives over here now. And uh, he was saying that, uh, like, he's obviously grown up, he's raised his kid over here, like, his kid's eight or nine or whatever. And he was saying that, you know, he's just mad trying to get him to Everton. I'm up every night watching the games and stuff. And he's like, all his friends at school are big Man City fans now because they're the successful team. And he was like, in my head, I always thought, oh, you know what? Like, when I finally get him back to Goodison Park and back to see the family and what whatnot, and because of COVID or whatever, I could never get him back when he was younger. And he's like, once I get him back and he sees the stadium and, he, you know, that'll grip him. That'll grip him and whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah. So is he never told you? No, he's like, nah. He says, I brought him back to go to some park last year, he said. And uh, just happened to be a nil-all game. Probably the worst game I could have possibly brought him <laughs> back from. And he goes, you know what? He said, I gave in. He said, that Christmas I bought him a Man City jersey. He said, you know, that's what all his friends are in town. He said, I didn't want him to to hold him back from that. And that was like what it was like for growing up for me, like Villa fans, yeah. you know, everyone is Man United yeah. fans. We spoke about it many times. And it makes sense because at the moment, young lads are going for Man City because they're successful. That's the reality, you know. And and and, and if Villa can start to do that, you're always going to get your worldwide Villa fans through association or certain little reasons they like the club. But no, I think you're going to start feeling it because Villa are successful. Because now yeah. Villa's starting to play football. There's going to be young lads who've seen Villa beat Arsenal and Man City back to back, and they're going to be like, oh, who's this club, you know? Oh, we're already getting it with uh, people at work who know I follow Villa but don't really follow the sport. And, yeah. and they're like, oh, Aston Villa's doing well, aren't they? And, I'm, and it's just, it's amazing. People I know I'm talking to have never even heard of Villa. You know, it, it's, you know, these are not people who follow the game, you know, they follow sport, but they don't necessarily follow the world game. And they're talking about Villa to me. It's just, it, it's just an amazing time. And we, I think we've just said it really perfectly, mate. You've just got to enjoy it. You know, let, let's have a little bit. You know, let's have a look at last week's game, right? Uh, well, last week wasn't it? <laughs> a few days ago. Um, we would have lost that game nine times out of ten in previous years. Uh, didn't play our best. Some players, you know, not up to it. What did you take from the game, mate? Um. I like that is probably one of the performances of the season that probably made me the happiest. Like, yes, you know, as in, like, I think that's the one that said to me, We've arrived, you know, because, like, I think when you're on a run of 14, 15 games to go out and do what we did to Man City, to go out and do what we did to Arsenal, two very different performances, but to do what we did, I just kind of thought, Yeah, but it was at Villa Park. You know, and, and Villa Park is our fortress. Like, I'm confident we beat anyone at Villa Park. But to follow that up, Villa in previous years, that would have been a draw against Brentford or maybe a 1-0 loss, you know. But to actually back that up with a 2-1 win in a game that we didn't play particularly well, but we they gave us a little bit of a sniff by the sending off and we sniffed blood and we punished them. And for me, that says to me we're a team now, we're, we're a real team. You know, to, to, to beat Man City and Arsenal back-to-back at home, it's incredible. But then to go and have a difficult, difficult game away at Brentford where we were probably second best with 75% of the game and yeah. to come away with three points like that on the road after such a busy schedule, now that tells me the players are ready. The players are ready for this top four challenge, man. It's not, it's not we knew that we could do it at home because we've proven it over a calendar year. But the fact that they're grinding results like that was a top four performance the other day, Paul, against um 
against uh, Brentford, I thought. Uh, I yep. think at your Arsenal's at Liverpool, Man United over the years, Man City. They're the results that matter over a season. If you sat down, I'm sure, in your inter Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp in the morning and said, over the last five seasons, what performances were very important to yeah? you? They'll say, obviously, the battles with the teams around you, which we have done, but then it's the tricky ones when you've been in Europe on Wednesday. You've got suspensions, you've got injuries. You're, you're, you're second best in the game, but you're leaving with three points. So for me, it was a huge. It was, uh, uh, it's bigger than I realised it was going to be, let's say, going into the game. I thought, oh, this is a must-win game. But once we won it, in the manner we won it, I thought, yeah, well, now we've breathing space till Friday. We're back at home. The programme is handy over Christmas to us. We can get 12, 9 or 12 points out of that. I thought it was vital because, Paul, make no mistake, I don't think we deserved anything out of that game. So to be able to drag three points out of that with a really good last 10, 15 minutes just shows where the character in this team is. And it, it, it's after just giving me this lift that, you know, just, yep. yeah. I just don't no, think I, I, I don't think we deserved a, a couple of our recent victories. Um, to a certain, when I say don't deserved, we were second best in two games that we've won that we would have either drawn, as you said, or lost in previous years. So we were definitely second best against Arsenal, definitely second best against Brentford, but we found a way to win. Now, I think there was a massive injury concern coming out of that game, mate. A huge injury concern being glossed over. The referee, David Coote, he must have carpal tunnel syndrome in his wrist for how many cards he gave out in that game. It was shocking. They all came in the second half, too. Like, I don't think there was any. I don't actually think there was any cards given out in the first half. I might be wrong in that now, but if there was, it was only one or two. But they, I think he, they... completely, he completely lost control, mate. Like I know it's up to the players to control themselves, but he completely lost control with that game. He 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 thought, okay, well I've lost control, so I'm just going to throw cards out willy nilly. Now I'm sick of people discussing was that a red card or not to Ben Me. That that. That was a red card. If, if it was a Villa player who did that, that's a red card. And I, I would have no arguments with it. Studs up, over the ball. You know, it's his first red card ever. I won't go into some of the theatrics that some people are saying about Ben Mee. But that was a pretty ordinary tackle. And I couldn't believe that Bailey stayed up. Oh, fair play to him. Hey, he's very lucky that he had the, the wherewithal to pull that leg out the way. Because if that leg was planted, it could have been very serious, man. Oh, um, oh. That was going to be either a break or an ACL. Because... I, think, I think that's why he stayed up because I think he's seen the challenge coming and his only thought was get my leg out the way, I think. Like, it was a very... Like, all you have to do is see John McGinn's reaction. Not the reaction to what he shouted at the ref, but his reaction to the actual incident. It was just yeah. shock. Like, as in, you know, it looked like, oh, this is a bad one, you know? I, and, I, and... I've, I've thrown in some hard tackles in my life when I played, right? But I always kind of tackled from the side. I would never slide in like that to someone. That is, that is, you are not going for the ball. I'm it's sorry. over the top. It's out of control. Look, I think, I think Villa fans have probably gone to town and bend me a little bit. Look, we know what he did to Wesley. We know. Look, I, overall, I don't think he's just he's out to hurt lads. I, I don't. No, it, but it was I'm a not a, stupid, stupid tackle. And, oh and yeah, it, I'm not actually talking about Ben Me either. No, I, I know. I'm, I know. I'm yeah. talking about anyone who did that tackle. You are off the ground. You're at once you leave the ground, you're out of control. Yeah, and if a villa player did the same, I, I would be not nah, that's a red card. You're an idiot. But, but, but uh, I tried to ask you about an incident there, actually. Um, it's, it's something that gets glossed over a little bit as well. And and and, and over a 38 game season, you do not 
qualify for the top four. I don't care how big a club you are or win leagues or anything without a little bit of luck along the way. I just want to bring you to the um the cons and Mopai foul. That's a penalty for me. Yeah, did penalty. Hundred percent. As soon yeah. as it happened, I went, "Oh no!" Yeah, oh. and 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 I, like, look, I understand. Look, there's a lot of tribalism, whatever. A lot, a lot of Villa fans say, "No, no, no." Like what I like to do in that kind of instance, I try to picture Ollie Watkins in that situation. Uh, or, or, and 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 that very lucky, and that's a penalty. And look, we're very lucky to get it, but it's luck you need because how many of them have went against us in the past or with us? Like, you know, was, like yeah, that and, was game and, over. If that was given a penalty, I reckon that was it. And then you flip side that on the other side where, say, two three weeks ago where um, Semenyo didn't get the yellow for that uh, pullback on Bailey in the first yeah. half, you know, against Bournemouth. So it does, like they say it evens out. A lot of clubs will cry foul, cry foul, blah, blah, blah. But I think over the season, you need those decisions to go with you in the right moment. But they do kind of level off some level over the season, I do yeah. think, you know. I don't know if they do. Like I haven't really. Oh, they're never going to. Gonna, they're never going to statistically fifty-fifty. But you know, I, 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 like, there's no one out to do anyone out of. I just think. I think it was really well played to to draw the contact, and and I, I I'm sorry, mate, but the the penalties I've seen given over the last few years that 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 to me was absolutely a penalty. I'll argue till the cows come home. Yeah, he's, like... drawn, the, he's drawn the contact. He's gone down. And um, to me, if that was a Villa player, I would have been screaming for a penalty. Like Douglas Louise's one and Gabriel Jesus is never a penalty for me last week, you know? Like, you no. know what I mean? Like, I think that was a genuine attempt to play the ball. Um, yep. Like, and, and there was there was probably more contact than was in this one. But I think, I think Gonza got that all wrong and I thought we were very lucky. But it brings me back to the fact that you need that little bit of luck over season. You do, you do. Like, you know, you need your, you need, you need your good football. But over 38 games, you need the odd decision here and there to go with you as well. And I think that's a decision that went with us, you know. Uh, very, very, very happy it did. But look, I, I completely, I, I do agree with you. I still think, for me, the Man City game was just the best football I've seen Villa play in years. But this was result. This result almost made me happier in some ways, because you're right. It's the game that we would have lost in previous years. Moreno gets his first, um, Moreno gets his first uh, Villa goal. Uh, in the prem, and 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 both goals came from headers. We're not really known for being a headering team, but um, what a flick on for uh, Watkins' winner! Oh, Kamara's little flick! I loved that. You know, no, you know, Polly, I'm an old, uh, you know, I'm always taken by a little uh, bit of a uh, filthy football. So I did. Oh, I loved that, and it actually looked like it was off the training ground. To be honest, it did. It was it dropped. Did. It was dropped right down because. Kamara, he, he kind of faked his run to start with, and then he made the run, and the ball was just dropped lovely in from Ramsey. And he, he, the little flick was lovely. Um, and Ollie and, uh, caught it beautiful with the header, like found acres of space in the box. Well, can I ask you about Moreno's goal? Who the hell decides not to pick up someone who always gets themselves in attacking positions? Well, I thought that was just horrendous. I mean, as good as the coming in and, and scoring the header, which was lovely, how bad was the, uh, the defense on that? Or the communication? Yeah, it's very bad. Very, very bad in a situation for a team that's one nil up and probably controlling the game. That was uh, the lack of communication in that backline was weird, man. It was like you know, um, great pick out from Bailey as well. Very composed. Oh, look, definitely. I mean, the thing is, when when you know, I did go and have a look at some of the stats. I couldn't help it, and I went, "Wait, they really played deep." And they really controlled the game. 
But this is what shocked me because I, I, I thought, oh, they've absolutely dominated this. If you hadn't seen the game and just looked at stats, you'd say Villa has to win it, right? Because this, I just want to give you some stats here, right? And, and yeah. we watched it and we know that the stats, the stats lie. We had 67% of the possession because they sat deep. Yeah. We had 15 shots to four. Now, we had 449 passes to 170. I mean, 449 accurate passes to 170. So we've had a bad night. It's still a bloody decent performance for a lot of teams. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, considering the schedule as well up to that point. As McGinn said after the game, he said, we've just had a uh, like a Saturday, uh, a Sunday, Thursday, Wednesday, Saturday fix, uh, fixture schedule, like which is tough on the players. Like. So to come through that uh, and to throw in fixtures against Man City and Arsenal in the mix for that, it's just an unbelievable result. And, you know, that, that, that could prove to be the most important three points of the season, I reckon. Oh, I just love, mate. I totally agree with you. I just absolutely love um, the, the the fact that we haven't played well, but we've still put on a, a display where you've seen 15 shots. You know, how, many, and... how many times under Man United did uh, under Fergie did Man United pull a result like that out of the bag? Oh, but I mean, we you could literally start thinking about five or six times a season. You know, like you, you, they they just were so good at those late winners, weren't they? I mean, that almost kind of shaped the Premier League was, man, you all you were always worried that you didn't have a big enough lead. You know what's yeah. funny too as well, like, you know, and it, this is like, this is something that is new to me as a Villa fan as well. The fact is we were playing bad and we went 1-0 down. I still believed we could get back in that game. Like, oh. I'm not I'm not used to that feeling, even at 1-0 down. Look, I did think it's getting away from us a bit and it's going to be one of those nights, but that's my old anxiety as a Villa fan kicking back in, like, but when I watched the game and I just thought, right, Emery's made a few changes. Right, Bailey's on now. Right, he's after making a little change in shape. Right, something's happening here. You know, yep. it's just, you know, it's gone are the days where we can't fight from behind. Like, it's like we're after picking up a lot of points from losing position, man. It's, and that, that's not a fluke. That's a fluke once or twice. That's not a fluke six, seven no, games. It, yeah. There's a belief, there's an absolute belief that's been instilled. There's discipline. Now, we talk about discipline. I want to talk about it for a moment before I get into the absolute stupidity from both teams, right? Yeah. But there's a discipline in, in the fact that the players know what their roles are. And you come off the bench and they know what their roles are. There's a set bit of play. They know what their roles are. We we have the best manager this club has ever had in my mind. Like, I can only go by my history of following Villa, yeah. you know, four odd years. This is the best manager the club has ever had. That's just me. I'm sorry. I know we won in Europe in 82, but I wasn't old enough to, you know, appreciate it. Like, yeah. But this manager, he is a, he's a, look, I don't want to say guru or anything like that, but he is a professor of football. He's just unbelievable. I, professor Emery to me, mate. Ah, sure. Look, man, it's just, he, it's unreal that he's managing our club, you know? He's just the, he's the perfect, perfect, perfect manager for us at this time as well. I liked as well how Thomas Frank, there was a lot of stuff I didn't like what Thomas Frank said after the game, but obviously pressure's getting him because Thomas Frank usually is very open, honest kind of guy, you know? But what yeah. he did, there was a couple of things he said. I said, yeah, come on, Thomas. Like, you know what I mean? What game were you watching? But what he said about Emery, he just said that uh, Unai Emery had class throughout, you know? So, like, yeah. even through all the, like, the, the Malise kicking off and stuff. And he's a very respected guy throughout the league, you know? Well, mate, I'll tell you now, 
and we might we might come to some questions actually because there's one about the discipline, so we might leave that. Let's get into some um, let's get into some questions now. But before we do, mate, I do have to say this before a preview. On Saturday morning, we have every chance to be top of the Premier League for at least a few hours. Unreal, and that we beat Sheffield United. If we beat Sheffield United, I strongly believe we will. I've seen a lot of Sheffield United games. They're not going to offer a lot. Uh, I, I don't mean that rudely. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I've, we're at Villa Park as well. I'm not going to talk banana peels or anything. We'll come to the game a little bit later. But by all rights, we should be top of the Premier League and then Arsenal play Liverpool. Could we ask for anything more before Christmas? Like, you don't know what the Premier League is going to throw up. It can be confusing, like, you know, sometimes. But... but... To be top at Christmas, what a perfect fixture list for us. All we have to well, do we'll is co- continue our home our, our yep. home run, you know, make it 16 games. And then our two closest rivals at the top of the table play each other in what a game that has probably got draw written all over it. I mean, you couldn't make it up. Well, Sheffield United, mate, concede two and a half goals a game. Yeah. And they really, they just leak goals. Um, I'm, you know, I know what you're saying. The Premier League throws up stuff, but they're getting relegated, and there's no doubt in the world they're not getting they're not getting three points out of Villa. There's no way on God's earth they're getting they've scored twelve goals this season, mate. And I'm telling you, we'll come to that preview because I, you are going to believe I'm putting the moz on us now. Yeah, but look, I, uh, look, we'll come to the preview after. But what I, what I will say is, if we drop any points in this game, I will be bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Yeah, good. I'm glad you've said that because I feel the same way and I'm starting to get rid of the moz. But let's go and have a look at some questions, mate. So you haven't seen any of these, but um, no. I've seen a few of them and I haven't pre-thought them either. So um, on our Aussie Dillon's Twitter page, um, so we've got some really great questions here. So FPL John Boy, Johnny Five, he said, he said with a new investment and recently shelved plans to re- redevelop Villa Park, what would make a new stadium palatable for you? A move brick by brick Still in Aston, great transport links and parking, Spurs Stadium Mark II, and or nothing. I don't mind if it holds us back a bit. It's our tradition. So basically, what would make a move from Villa Park to a new stadium palatable? Um, this is kind of easy. For me. Like it's it's easy for me to say because I don't live there, but and I don't get to the games every week. Um. If we stay at Villa Park and it's forty-two thousand, absolutely no problem for me. I love every time I visit there. I just love it. I couldn't picture flying back from Australia, going somewhere else to see a game. You know, I just, I just couldn't. When I fly back from a couple of times every few years that I flew back, I fly back to watch Villa. Villa Park is part of that experience for me, and I know you'd probably get used to another stadium, but if it's like that for me. I can't imagine what it's like for people who are living local. It must, like, the thought of probably moving out somewhere else is just, yeah. No, I don't. There's enough land around Villa Park to, to, to make it work in Villa Park, per se. I, I don't see the move happening. I do understand that infrastructure is obviously a huge issue around the area, but um, what would make it palatable for me? I'd be very surprised if we left. That's I, I can't really answer what would make it palatable for me because I don't see I don't see it happening. I just don't see Villa Villa building a new stadium. I see us expanding, but I, I don't see 
Yeah, I just can't see it, Paul. Um, I don't want to be one of those people who says we, we'd never move and it's this, that and the other. There could be very good reasons that Villa has to move one day. I don't think it'll happen, honestly, in our lifetime. Um, did you get to see the Chris Heck interview this week? No, I was meant to watch it in my break, but my boss made me go back to work because we're under a wicker pressure. So, no, I didn't. <laughs> but I'm going to watch it this evening. It's about a nine or ten minute interview. And, and um, I was at first disappointed that we were, weren't going to be expanding the stadium straight away to, you know, what we were hoping for, at least 10,000 more, up to 60,000 ultimately. I, I we'll, we'll put a link up to it. Um, and I'll see if I can put some excerpts into this podcast. If you're listening to it, we are recording. So I haven't put that in yet. And um, his rationale behind stuff is just first rate. He, I'll just say one part of the interview, if that's okay, Spud. Yeah, he basically on. talks about immersing himself before he's made any decisions, immersing himself into every aspect of the club. And he's not bullcrapping when he says it. He is abs. I love the fact, my biggest point, if someone comes into sport, and I've worked in sport for many, many years, one of the things that people do when they come into a new situation, sport or club, is they want to make their mark. They want to make this really big decision, you know, and put their stamp on what they've done. What I think with Monchi and Chris Heck and, every, you know, Emery and everyone is that they've come into the club with their plans, but they've got to, they've studied the club and, and gone, right, okay. And Chris Heck's done that. And a lot of people are really upset that he said that we're not going to expand the stadium right now. But listen to his rationale in the interview. Listen to the whole interview. And you'll just go, wow, this guy gets it. These guys aren't here for one or two years. These guys are here for a fair few years. And actually, his rationale, when you listen to it, behind why we're not doing it, is absolutely first class. Um, you'll be excited, Spud, when you hear his kind of reasoning and, and his understanding of the club already. Yeah, um, I did. I, I did have a quick read, but I didn't read it like you know the transcript or anything. So yeah. I am looking forward to watching it now. And um, from the headlines of what I seen, Paul about like the reason about the Champions League and our fortress and all that. What I have read is not going to cover the interview, but uh, it, it kind of makes a bit of sense to me. But I'm not going to make a judgment until I get to watch the interview myself. You know. Oh yeah. But yeah, it, it sounds like I, I he's think... he sold you. Yeah. Are you happy? Oh, with... oh, oh, you'll be very, you'll be very happy. Anyone who listens to the interview, it's about 10 minutes, the shortened version. I'm sure it was longer. And it had me smiling the whole way through because this is a guy who gets it. There's absolutely <laughs> no point in us taking all these people onto the club if we're just going to go with them anyway. Like, like we need to, if it, there's a reason that uh, Wes Edens and uh, Nassau Suris are employing these people to make these decisions. Fans aren't always going to like it. Of course not, but that's why they paid the big bucks. And that's why oh, mate, I just love every aspect of what this club's doing. You know, we're, we're getting people in who the most savvy business people you can imagine. They have a really wide knowledge of world sports. We have our connections in our clubs in Egypt. We have one of the best scouting networks going around. And, you know, I think I'm an Australian. I've always been an Australian. I love Villa as much as anyone loves Villa. But I think there is an over I think there's an inflation of what we pay for English players. And have a look at our team right now. Ollie Watkins was bought from Brentford. Right? Um, McGinn was bought for a pittance. I'm not just talking about what we paid, but we've got this whole we're a very international team. 
And, you know, and you know, Ramsey's English and he's brilliant. We've got the best goalkeeper in the world is Argentinian. We've got one of the best midfielders right now in the game in Douglas Luiz. We've got Spanish players. We're, it's such a multicultural... I mean, to get a multicultural team to come together like this at Villa is amazing, don't you think? Oh, it's, it's incredible. Paul, Paul, there's one thing, because you raise a good point there, and I just before we go into the, the listeners' questions, the point I wanted to raise with you, you know. Remember, we done a podcast pre-season, and you asked me um, what the... Because we were talking about the English quota for players, the European uh, for the Conference League, you know, a certain amount of players have to be English. You know, I remember we had that conversation. Yes. Yep. And you said to me, tell me something that you see that other people wouldn't agree with. And I said to you at the time, I said, Eddie Howe won't be in charge of Newcastle at the start of next season. Remember we had a little discussion yes. around that? I do remember. And I said, the reason I would, it's not because any reflection on Eddie Howe. I said, it's because I, I think that they... They may not get out of their group. They may not get out of their Champions League group, and they may not finish in the top four again. And that Eddie Howe, not because he's a bad coach, because he's a fantastic coach, may actually become a victim of his own success. That 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 he <laughs> that he you know and and remember what I was saying to you about the fact like that at the time I was saying no Newcastle fan will ever admit it at the time, but now they look back. Getting straight to the Champions League was brilliant, right? But yep. it probably would have been better for Newcastle to do the steps that we have, Europa Conference, Euro, you know, because you're building your quota, your English players, your thing, because every club needs those English players. So they're after fast forwarding themselves straight into the group stages, right? Brilliant. Like they were unbelievable last year. I was actually rooting from last year to make the Champions League. Yep. Yep. To break, I... I think. So, the, like, the question I have for you is looking now, right, with the way Villa are doing things, the way Newcastle are doing things. Obviously, Newcastle were going to dwarf us for money, but Villar and Pauper's either. When you look at the different things now, like, do you think the structures of both clubs, what would you prefer? And take your Villa hat, hat off for a minute. Would you Would you look at it like the way Villa have kind of, we've kind of got something real sustainable, and Newcastle have because they're going to be a huge club one way or another, you know? Do you think they're going to the Champions League too soon? Oh, it's a really tough one to take the Villa hat off because... I, I, we've got that. I, I suppose if I could try to, you know, having body more Heath and having that set up, um, and I really, I think when you see the Chris Heck interview, it'll, it'll put a bit more, even more kind of spice into that for you. Um, we've got the young people who've come through. Look at Ramsey now. I mean, he, no one's talking about what he could go for if a club came in for him, right? Yeah. I reckon he would be a $100 million player. Because you're looking at the potential, you're looking at him being English, and you're looking at him the potential. I think he'd be a hundred million dollar player to try and get him out of Villa Park right now. You know, if I, to, if I was an opposition club, I'd be looking at at, at him as a, as opposed to uh, Douglas Luiz, to be honest, um, because he's a little bit younger, not much, but he's a little bit younger, and he's English. So the quota system, I I look at, I don't know enough about Newcastle to probably take that hat off Spud because. Um, I look at guys like Chris Heck. I look at Monchi. I look at what Emery's brought in, and I just think the setup from top to bottom is absolutely first rate. Um, whilst we've got some bad injuries at the moment, our injury time for our players seems to be a really quick turnaround for some of the injuries players have had, and they're coming yeah. back in really good condition. Look, look how quickly Moreno's got back into the, the stride. I just can't imagine Villa's ever had a better setup. So. I just don't know enough about Newcastle to, to actually 
um, probably comment on that correctly. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, and I'm great. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I, I just meant like from a kind of from a fan, like without being a fan point of view, because I look at that now and I think like oh. I was actually delighted to see Newcastle progress to where they are. But like making the Champions League so fast, and people will laugh at me because it is. It's almost set them back a touch in a way, like because no, they're expected to make Champions League every year from the owner's point of view. Whereas like if they had like if Eddie Howe had went like. Conference League maybe won that Europa League maybe won that and then Champions League it's progressive growth but they went straight into the Champions League and look it's easy for me to say as a Villa fan now but if we went up to the Champions League last year do you know when we finished in the Conference League we wouldn't yeah. have been ready no we wouldn't but have been ready but it, I, think, it, I think we will be now that, that, that activeness of getting the players ready for that Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday schedule you know I think you're probably right, and I do think I know a lot of clubs use this, but they have been absolutely decimated by injuries. You know, they've been forced to play a 17 year old that was probably a year, and he's played well, but probably a year or two ahead of his time. And I think injuries have decimated them like probably no other club. Tottenham, probably just behind them, but I think if you looked at their best players at at Newcastle, they didn't have those for the, the group stages, and and they were heartbroken in a couple of those games as well. So. That kind of that kind of brings me back to the point of like Emery and Eddie Howe um, and that learning curve because yeah. yes Newcastle have a lot of um a lot of injuries but he's brought a lot of players to the well because like how many times have we named a game trying to start name a starting lineup for Europe and Emery's changed six lads that we didn't expect oh. to change and and that's where I think it might come into a bit of experience and oh, like. I, I, like I don't want to turn this into a Newcastle pod or anything because I just find it so interesting what's happening up there because Eddie Howe is an unbelievable coach but there's a very realistic chance that he's not going to be in charge next summer Like, and and I I, I actually think that the Saudis are going to bring in Jose next, yeah, I, next summer I hope, I hope not for them I hope yeah. they bring someone else because uh, his football uh, is not enjoyable to watch Oh, I know, and but like his profile is so big at the moment, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. And and that's, but I don't want to turn this into him. But the question I kind of had for you, Emery's like experience in Europe. We're going into the sixteenth year of him, um, playing in Europe, like with with Sevilla, Villarreal, Paris Saint Germain. You know, every club he's played, he's done Europe. He's going into his sixteenth year in a row at Villa now as a European manager. Do you think well, that experience of loading the squad has benefited off? You know, the, everyone talks about Newcastle's injuries. Like yeah. we've we've had injuries too, but like there's a lot of games like where we didn't expect a certain player to start, but he did because we we needed to beat Legia, let's say, to to win a game, and then yeah. suddenly he changed five players. Do you think that's played a huge part? And like, does Emery deserve more credit than what he's getting I, in that regard? I, I think he actually is getting a lot of credit, but I think you're right in terms of the experience of of the European um, uh, platform is exactly right. I actually want to reverse. You asked me which situation I'd rather be in. Yeah. And I, I'm just going to come back to that and because I, I had a little bit more time to think, mate. And 100%, it'd have to be Villa for this reason. When big, big, big money comes into your club, you're always a little bit worried about how your club's fabric is going to change over the years, right? And how you, no matter what anyone says, unless you're Millwall, you do care about how other clubs perceive you and other supporters. You do. Yeah. And we're doing it the right way. We've got big money. Don't, don't get me wrong. We both said it. We've got big money. 
But I do like the way we're going about it. And no one's saying anything about Villa's got these owners who've come in and bought all these players. They're like, how the hell has Emery done it with that squad? Yeah, yeah. No, and, and it is, and perception is very different. Like, and don't, let's not, let's not like, uh, say any different. Villa have spent money, but they've also brought a lot of money back in, like your Grealish sales and stuff. I know that was out of their hands, but the club have put themselves in a position now where we can handle this. We're going to lose a big player eventually over the next few years. There's, there's no doubt about that. I don't know who it's going to be, but we are. But don't you feel now that if we do lose a hundred million player, we're going to replace them? Oh, that's the that's the key. I think with we, I think we said at the start of the year, the or start of the season, the players we're going to bring in, and I know I said this, the players we're going to bring in, we're not going to know who they were. We're really not. Look at Bailey, mate. He he he. I wanted him out. I wanted him gone. He is playing exceptional football right now. I mean, he's got to be one of Emery's favourite players at the moment. Definitely. And what what I like about Bailey is that. Obviously, Bailey came with a bit of like, like I don't know him personally, so like I can't really say this, but as a viewing point in his hand, he almost had a bit of a chip in the shoulder like that, you know, and the man, you know, and his 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 father was getting involved in press conference stuff. Bailey seems to love the fact now that I'll start some games, but if not, I'll come on and be the difference. You know, yep. he's buying into what Emery wants from him. You know. Well, okay. Moreno. None of us knew Moreno really, right? We we knew a little bit about where he played. No one really thought McGinn was going to be what he is. Ramsey was from us, so we did. Martinez was was written off at Arsenal, and we didn't. No one knew he was going to be as good as he is. Um, Konza was on the outer with most supporters and most people, and he's playing brilliant football. But almost everyone in our squad was an an off cast or underrated, or we had no idea how good they were, right? We, we cannot put all this in Emory, though. Like, the club deserves a lot of credit. Oh, for no, no, no. I'm not saying... With Dean no, Smith. Yeah, no, we just... Yeah, no, my point is this, bud. My point was this, is that we're going to get players signed to us that we've got no idea how good they are, and I bloody love that, because yeah. we're not chasing the... You know, we're not going, okay, Mbappe, let's go and spend $300 million and go get him. What I'm saying is that We've got such a good setup at the club over the last few years, Emery or not, that we're just bringing in. It's, it's, it's incredible, like, isn't it? It's almost like this successful version of Moneyball. <laughs> it's like if the uh, Oakland Athletics actually um, won things with the players they brought in. Well, let's call it a spade a spade. Like we were chasing the Europa Conference League last year, and we paid fifteen million for Alex Moreno. And I, I, I'll admit it, I, I felt it, I'm sure you felt it, I'm sure every Villa fan out there said, oh, we're after turning things around after hard and we're going on a big run and all we're doing is buying a left back for 15 million. Oh, this club is lacking ambition, you know, like you'd feel like that. But it wasn't. Yeah. They were buying um, Emery, the player he wanted. like, And, and you know, it's, it, it just goes to show you don't always have to spend big money. Of course, you're going to have to spend every now and again, like Musa Diabis or just the profile of the club, but there's still good prices out there. Well, how 35 much million for Pau Torres is unbelievable how much business. Buy Derby? 50 million, was it? Right. And how much did we play for Torres? 35. So we played 65 million, right? <laughs> for two players. I'm just comparing that to other clubs paying 80 million for one. Well, it was 85, let's say, 50 for uh, oh, Diaby yeah. and 35 for Torres. Apologies. But I suppose what I meant by that, and I do apologise with my mathematics people, is that there's some clubs playing 80-odd million for one player who's not even playing first-team football. 
Chelsea. Um, but you'll be spot on with like your 50 million and 15 million from Reno. Let's say if you had 15 million from Reno left back and 50 million for, oh, look, easiest way to do it. Torres, 35 million and Moreno, 15. 50 million for two starters. It's unbelievable. Yep. That's what I'm trying to say. So I think we just have to have faith that, that, that look, the scouting network we've got now, um, every time players are brought up, it's always talk. And I think the I think the press in England have become so lazy because the only talk they ever talk of with, with um, transfers are either players we already – it's almost always players we already know. They, you very rarely hear the big press talk about, oh, is this club going to sign this? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I, don't uh, think I think a lot of that comes down to agents feeding, trying to yeah. generate fees too, you know. Someone yeah. will have a contact in the Sun newspaper or, you know, the Mirror Online. Look, he's unhappy. He's looking for a move. And, you, you know, so there's a lot of that coming in. I don't, uh, I think a lot of that, it comes down to the British media, you know. Yeah. Oh, mate, well, let's get into some more questions. So we've been running a fair bit here at the moment. Um, <laughs> Because we didn't get on together in ages, Paul. I know, and I love it. And I love the fact that we've got similar views, but we've got diff. You know, I just love the fact we've got similar, but slightly different viewpoints. I love it. So, Nick, Big Red V, thanks, Nick. Always on. Assuming we're in no financial fair play danger, and I don't think from anything I've read that we are even close to financial fair play danger, which should be the case, would you be tempted to give Unai whatever he wants to go for in January or resist the temptation and do what we did last season and go for the more smarter measured signings like Moreno? I'll let you go first in this, Paul, because you obviously have a good handle on the FFP. I, okay. Okay. We've got the academy, which really we're still going to have to bring players through the academy at some point to play some games, and that's probably going to be the the cup kind of games and so forth, which only count a percentage of the financial fair play. They have to play first team football in uh, the Premier League for it to count more. So we will sign a big player for big money if it is the right player. These guys are super smart. We are not going to go and just spend money for money's sake. It has to be the right player. And if we have to pay overs for, you know, a left back, if we have to pay overs for a striker, they will. But I don't think I don't think the market, if you get, have a look out there, is that fantastic at the moment. And we're not desperate. I just think the club will sign at least two plays in January out of necessity. I, I think the back line must be made more solid. I think the left back is the absolute must. And if we have to spend overs, we need that depth there. We've seen the weakness when we have those injuries there. So my, my you know, people is crying out for strikers, but I've looked at the strikers available and we'd be paying just stupid money in January and stupid weekly wages. So if anything, it might be, we might sign one player but I think it's going to be a left back from somewhere. I've got no doubt in the world. That oh, right defense... back. Right back. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I keep saying left back. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying left back. I, I think I'm thinking of Marino nonstop. Yeah. Um, I but... just I just knew you were on about right back, though, because in, in fairness, your defence, you have mentioned the right back since the transfer window in August. So that's why I know you're meant to mention. No. Right and, and, and so, mate, if we only signed one player and it was a really smart right back, I think that's what we'll do. Um, I would be shocked if we get a striker because I just, yes, 
we're going to be having a title run. There's no doubt about that. And yes, we're going to be pushing for Europe. There's no doubt about that. It's going to happen whether it lasts the whole season. Who knows? But there's no way we can survive without getting at least one or two more defenders. Over to you, buddy. Um, it's it's it, yeah, it's very very hard to know because obviously we don't know where the FFP is is at. But uh, I think I think we're probably okay for FFP. One of those clubs that it's mentioned a few times, but it hasn't been really pushed on. Like, is it like Everton or or Spurs or Newcastle? You know, um, I mean, you have to remember as well. Christian Perslow was part of the board that introduced and made the rules on FFP. So we're going to have massive insight. People forget as well, like, you know, like last January, we started really well when Emery took over November from Gerard. All Emery took on board was a um, 15 million Alex Moreno and a, a 18 million John Duran. Yep. Okay. Oh, I thought he was 12 million Duran. I think it was 18 million, including Alan's. Oh. I think it went to 18 oh, million yeah, recently yeah. if he made a certain amount of... Uh, First appearances. appearances, and I You're think right. I think he's made that. I don't think it was done on starts. I think it was on if he played a certain amount of minutes, which I think he's yeah, actually it was done. Yeah, twelve now. million plus add-ons. You're yeah. right. And then and then he got more if he made a debut in Europe, which he has done. You know all that kind of stuff. You know, you know yep. how the football works. Yeah. So then in the summer, who did we buy in the summer? Paul Torres, thirty-five million. Yep. Uh, we reached the uh, the release clause paid for the Abbey. I'd imagine the Abbey would have cost a lot more than the fifty million we thought, right? I think Paul yeah. Torres, that I think that Demian Vidagani, Manchi, and Emery would have had inside knowledge about what it would take to get Paul Torres out of Villarreal, release clauses, etc., clause in the contract, right? Most of the Abbey is a bit different. Obviously, the total fee is fifty million, but I think it would have cost a lot more north than that of, especially with Al Nasser trying to get him to Qatar as well. So I'd imagine there was a lot more paid in agent fees and sponsor rights and you know yourself, you know of course. So I think I think Musa Dabi would have been the big one. Yuri Tillemans, free transfer. On the books that's huge. But as you always say, Paul, wages, like his wages are probably huge. Probably we'll never actually understand how big Yuri Tillemans' wages are probably are. So we don't really know how much room there is for FFP. But there's no massive talk about Villa and FFP. My talk on it is if Emery tells the club he wants something, I think they'll go get it. I just don't think we're going to go nuts, mate. Yeah, and and, and exactly. And that that for me, honestly, I think think we'll only get a few fill-ins. I don't see a huge, huge outlay, someone that's going to walk into this first team. I see that in the summer, but I think it's going to be backups, as you say, either right back, maybe a striker, Paul, maybe someone that can just, just in case Ali Watkins gets injured. But he seems happy enough with Duran, you know. I think so as well. I just the worry that I have that you see so often, and look at Chelsea as the best example, is that too many signings at the wrong time of year, the chemistry. The, the, the bond in the club is so amazing at the moment. They love each other so much. You do worry if they did go, and I don't think they will. If they went silly in January, the chemistry could be really mucked up. Yeah. So to answer 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 the question, I would say I don't think there's going to be major surgery. Um, no. I think two backup players, Max. Two backup players that could possibly make an impact. On the first team, not two, not not two players are going to walk in and demand a first team place. 
No, and, and the thing is, we don't play till late February, early March in Europe again. 7th of March, I think it is, Paul. That's yeah, a massive yeah. break. So, so you know, at that point, we were so worried in previous podcasts about December. Yeah, well, we've navigated got, that beautifully, haven't we? Oh, look, <laughs> we went on Saturday. That's 12, you know, sorry, 12 points from the last four games in a month that we were petrified in. 100%. And, and Paul, that's the perfect word. We're all petrified because they thought... You know, and we done well, like, because, like, people seem to think Aston Villa are doing well since August. Aston Villa are doing well since last February. Yeah. That's the reality. It's like, you know, this is this is new. Like, only Villa fans realise this. You see all 25 going, 25. oh, you know, they're having a good season. No, we're not having a good season. We're having a good, <laughs> we're having a good full season, but it's just spread over two seasons. So. Mate, what what have we got? 25 wins in the calendar year. 81 points. Incredible. The most Villa's ever had in, in, in what, 149 years of our club history. And going into December, we would have thought 13 home wins. It's all gonna, it's all gonna hinge on December, really. You know, I mean, even the most positive Villa fan would have looked into that fixture list in December. I know there's still a couple of games to go on it, but would have thought, no, if, if, if we're gonna lose points, if we're gonna, gonna lose the home record, December's the one. Navigated it. As they say, mate, completed it, mate. You know, thank like, <laughs> you. I just, I just, I, I still can't believe. I went back through all the home. I can't believe the home wins we're on. Like I just, I, I just. It's not even. It's not even the home wins, Paul. It's how emphatic they were. You know, yeah. like Brighton six one, yeah, West that... Ham four one, Everton four nil, Man City one nil, flattering Man City that one nil. The probably the only result was probably the one nil against um Arsenal. Arsenal I... did ask. Because the first 20 minutes we battered them, but Arsenal battered us. But you know what? It was probably very, very important home win. I think Brentford was our most important away win. I think Arsenal was our most important home win. To back that up after three three days uh, after the performance we'd put in against Man City. But these these are not home wins of like, I think I don't think there's a game where we've conceded more than one goal. No. No. It's incredible. That's 15. Ah, it's just, it's unreal. But uh, you're right. December would have been the one. Emery's going to look at that. And everyone's keeps saying all oh, the outsiders, like I listen to a lot of general football podcasts and they all say, Oh, the Villa owners be mad not to throw money at Emery now and you know, go for it. We'll they'll never be in this position again, Aston Villa, blah blah blah. I don't think that's gonna happen. Why that... why why won't we ever be in that position again? I remember for many years of our life we were in the top six for so many years. And I, I just don't understand these pundits, you know, only a few weeks ago. You know, stupid morons like Robbie Savage. Like, absolutely, I can't even listen to his, his just crapness, right? Hates Villa with everything he's got. And he's like, oh, there's no chance to make Europe. Now he's like, oh, they, 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 they're going to make Europe, but there's no chance to compete for the title. Now he's already starting to change that within four or five weeks. I don't give a crap what the press says, mate. I, I, we're just... We can do what we choose to do, and and we're just going to enjoy this run, mate. It's hundred percent one of my favorite um, podcasts. It's a general football podcast. It's the fo- football social daily, right? And yes, yep. And and it and it's like three lads, and none of them have any connection to Villa. One's a United fan, one's a Newcastle fan, and the other's a Portsmouth fan, right? Yeah, great podcast. Love it. I listen it to it every day. It's brilliant. And 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 they always say in this podcast, like Villa are in the title race. Until they're not. And that's the reality of it. 100%. Like, anyone that doesn't say the Villa in the title rest, 
are we going to win it? Look, most likely, probably not. But they're the only podcast outside the Villa podcast that I can hear them saying that until they say, until they're not in a, a title race, they're in a title race. You know? Well, but I've got a mate who's um, got, a, got a mate who always looks at the um, long term odds in sport. He, he just does that as a reflection on society, right? And he was saying a few weeks ago, Villa was 67 to 1 to, to win the title, then our 12 to 1. Wow. Mad, nah. I'm not Can saying I... we will either. I'm just saying that that is a people are putting, and it wouldn't just be Villa supporters doing it. So people are putting money on it, right? And I'm not saying money says everything, but um, um, right now, for example, Man City, I think, is still odds on favourites to win, um, even with the potential to lose all their points and everything. And I understand why punching places are doing that because they can say, oh, we're going to give all your money back and, and have that as an advertisement. But, you know, 12 to 1 to win a title says you're a chance. As you say, the bookies, they don't know everything, but they're always a good guide, Matt. They, they like, you know, they, they always don't be too far wrong. I'll tell you a funny story, Paul, right? I was, at yeah. work the other, I was at work the other day, right? And I was like, I'm pretty sure last August I put away a betting slip. Because there was a thing on the Australian uh, Villa face, uh, Australia Facebook page and there was uh, some guy put up an unbelievable bet that he had put on uh, for Villa to win the league. And they'd offer the cash out. And I was looking, I was like, oh, best of luck with that, man, you know? And I was thinking, wow, I, I'm sure I actually put on a bet last August and I put it in the drawer and forgot about it, like for Villa to win the league, right? And I was yeah. like, completely forgot about it, right? And I was like, got home and at that moment, at work, I set a reminder on my phone, you know? That was months ago, I wouldn't even think of it. Got home, we were having dinner next to the, the, the phone went off. It was a reminder. And I was like, what's, the, what's that alarm for? I was like, Oh, that's a reminder for me to check my drawer. I'm sure I put a betting slip in there in August for uh, Villa to win the league. And I just realised that uh, I put it on stupidly at the time, but now I realise it actually might come true, you know? I got to quickly check the draw. Paul went to the drawer, <laughs> found it. What was it? It was 21-22 season. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about it until oh. I did your man's bed. Oh, funny man. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, mate. Oh. Okay. Official Elgie, who's always on here as well. Are you confident that we won't sell any big names in January? Who would you like to sign? Well, I'm pretty confident because the person who's being targeted to go, Douglas Louise, is saying all the right things at the moment. He's at, he's at a club that believes in him. He's a chance of playing in the Champions League. Unless he goes somewhere in Europe, outside of the Premier League, he's not going to go to an Arsenal. No. I'll, leave it, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Um, am I worried a big name is going to go in January? Absolutely not. No, I'm not worried at all. I don't say anyone that leaves that club in January will be by design. The club will be happy and it will be an agreement between the players. Maybe one or two players that might actually shock us, but it won't be any of like Douglas Louise or nah, nah, nah. Uh, I don't see. Uh, look, that's not to say it's not going to happen in, Mate, in, in the summer. That... I think I think it might ha- happen in the summer, depending on where we're at, because obviously their agents will say, let's say we don't finish top four and we don't win the league or whatever. Their their reputation's gone up, and their agents might make the strike while Zeron's hot, you know. But January, I have no affairs with any of those players, even not. And uh, yeah, no, I don't see it at all. And who would you like to sign? Um, for me, realistically, 
um, for the price available, January being the market it is. If I was given, let's say, 50 million right now, what two players would I go for? I would go for Kyle Walker Peters from mm. Southampton as a backup right back because yeah, he can attack up. from Southampton. And I would go for Semenyo from Bournemouth, the left winger. Oh, I like both of those. Um, mate, I won't be serious because you've come out with some really good uh, players there, which I really, really like. I'll go, who would I like to sign? Oh, imagine Harland being on the end of our play at the moment. <laughs> he's, yeah. a lazy, he's a lazy bugger in some ways because he doesn't get many touches. I mean, imagine how many goals he'd be putting in for us at the moment. Yeah, I know. Because we're creating a lot of chances. I don't want him at our club, actually. I love what we're doing with the players we've got. So, really good question, that one again. Um, so, let's have a look who else we've got there, just on Twitter as well. Sorry, mate. Uh, let's have a look. Richard Edwards asks, Rooster Edwards, do you think we need to buy in January? We're kind of going over the same thing here. So, I'll, I'll still read out the question, mate, because we appreciate and put up. Um, do you think we need to buy in January window? If yes, and who and what positions? I think we've answered that. And what do you think about the redevelopment plan on hold, good or bad thing? Um, I, as I said earlier, I think people go and watch the interview with Chris Heck. Um, I won't say any more because I think it'll wreck the interview a little bit. So go and watch the um, Chris Heck. Thank you, Richard, for the question, mate. Really appreciate it. It's hard when people have asked similar questions earlier. So, um, yeah. I think watch the Chris Heck interview and, and then we could probably all come back with a bit more of a measured response to that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I will say that um, Villa hosting Euro 2028 keeps keeps the redevelopment alive, to be honest. So I don't think it's been canned completely. I think that it's just the plans are being revisited. Yeah, they are. They are. And, and there's some good rationale behind that. And as I said, I don't want to wreck people enjoying the Chris Heck interview. So go, go and actually spend nine or ten minutes on it. Um, we'll just go over to some Facebook questions before we do a quick summary of the Sheffield United game coming up on Saturday morning, four o'clock your time, Spud, in WA, six o'clock my time, seven o'clock if you're in um, you know, New South Wales, Victoria, 7.30, I think. No, 6.30 in South Australia. I'm trying to do it. Sorry, mate. <laughs> bit hard to in this country, isn't it? Um, okay, so Pete Steinford. Peter Steinford always asks great ones. And this is why I wanted to hold off on talking about discipline before, mate. I love Emmy. Love him. He's shithousery. He's elite. And in many positions, it has uh, many positive flow-on effects from getting up people's noses, malpay, to wasting time. Is it the time to settle down a bit? The second... Uh, Malpay incident led to the scuffle that Kamara lost his head in. No scuffle, no red. We now miss Kamara for three, including importantly away at United. That hurts. Also, can you believe that Mee's first straight red? He's a serial offender, basically ended Wesley, and Frank complained about it. Dog. Um, I don't think you and I will talk about Ben Mee too much. I don't think that's the kind of supporters we are and I'm not saying you are either Peter but it's just Spud and I don't normally you know I'm speaking on both our behalf we don't yeah. really talk about opposition players in that way too much um, I do think I was pretty pissed off to be honest with Martinez he did we were in control at that point why you would even get bothered to get involved with a player lying down that's not your job I was really annoyed when they tried to lift him up you have no right to touch a player who's lying down none um, 
And Kamara, you just don't put a hand in someone's face. You just don't do that. So I was more pissed off with, um, I don't think at all should um, avoid got involved in that stuff. We were leading a game away from home. I just think that was really dumb. I'll leave it to you, mate. I'm still pissed off with Martinez in that in that effect. Um, do I think the pressure is getting to us? No, I actually don't. Um, I think that's just part of Martinez's character. I think Alpha Male he likes to he likes to get the last saying. And obviously, when Mopai shoulder charged him, and he lay on the floor, there's absolutely no reason why Martinez should have dropped the shoulder into Mopai at the time. Mopai obviously made the most of it, but to go and try and pull him up off the floor, um, no, I just I thought that was very very silly. Um, do we need it? Look, I think that's part of Martinez's character. Yep. Uh, I'd worry that if you took all that away from him, he wouldn't be the same keeper. Because let's not forget how good Martinez is, like, and how he's oh all this run wouldn't have happened without him. He's been absolutely unbelievable. I was very annoyed with him. And as you say, Paul, I still am. I see a lot of people saying that Kamara, or that, like, it's on ME. I said it myself, that it's on ME, but I don't believe it's on ME. Kamara still didn't need to get involved. He's the first man on the scene. Thank you for saying He's experienced enough. Yeah, and I think... And you might be right. Don't, 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 like... Peter, you might actually be right. Maybe, maybe, maybe the whole scenario is getting to the lads a little bit. But Emery will make sure that that he Emery will have learned a lot from that situation, you know, because I'm sure he would have got. I don't think he's going to go in there and rip the head off the lads. But what I found interesting was in the pre the the, the, the post match interview, and and I haven't heard this mentioned in other podcasts at all. They asked they asked um Emery about Poe Torres' injury. Which is something that yeah. none of us, none of us, no, no other podcast seems to have discussed. And I kind of missed it at the time. I thought it was a tactical substitution, if I'm honest, because they took yeah, Paul Torres off in the 81st minute. And they asked, um, they asked Emery about it, and Emery was like, "Oh no, he's got a little, um, he's got a little injury, so I took him off." But they were like, "Is he going to be okay for the next game?" And he was like, "Well." That's not our biggest problem at the moment. Our biggest problem is uh, Kamara's suspension. So, yeah. obviously, it's something that's arcing um, Unai as well. Um, yes, Martin has done stupid. If he wants to win a league title or Champions League top four, he doesn't need to cut out everything, but he needs to cut out that. That's outside the box. That's over by the line. There's no yeah. players anywhere near him. I don't want him to completely cut out everything. But no, he needs to, him, he needs him, to use it. He needs to use his fucking brain. Yeah, him being like, a shit stirrer, yeah. I love. But don't touch a player on the ground. Don't touch yeah. anyone, even if you think it's not an injury. What if it was an injury and you've you've? If well, I'm obviously... if if I'm honest, like and like if I'm a referee, which I'm not, but if I was a referee, when Mopai first shoulder barbs to uh, Emery, I'd be giving Mopai a red, but I'd still be giving Emmy a yellow for the acting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the, the revisit of the the later on when Martinez tries to pick Mopai off. That's a yellow. That's a second yellow for me for Martinez. No, he obviously the ref didn't give either of them yellow because he didn't know what was going on. Because he's just, he didn't give a yellow for either of them. But Martinez is lucky to be on the pitch. Personally. He also didn't give a bloody red. 
for that me tackle when he was right there. He was yeah. two years away. Exactly. But um, to go back to Peter's question, I don't think the pressure is coming on, but I think maybe they're trying to impose themselves on games a little bit too much from an aggression side of point of view. But you know what? In a win, I'm glad it happened in a win because Emery can iron it out. It'd be a lot worse if that happened in a loss because I think that could escalate a lot better if, you, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, look, there's a couple of things that follow on here. Um, so Smithy did say the same. Do you think the pressure is getting some of the players? You've said no. The reactions to some provocation on Sunday was a bit over the top, especially Martinez. The one bit that I think was really fantastic, and I really loved when um, Watkins was interviewed, because he didn't... A lot of people came out and said, oh, look at Watkins celebrating, you know, at, at the Brentford end. And as Watkins said, and you can see what he's doing, He's pointing to one person in the crowd who has a hoodie on pulled tight. So he's obviously said some pretty... And, and Watkins said it wasn't racist, but it was definitely pointed and probably some pretty, you know, harsh words, which supporters were allowed to give, right? And Watkins is allowed to point back. I would. If I was copping grief all game and I scored the winning goal, I'm definitely going to give it back to the opposition supporters. I, I thought that was fabulous. I loved it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think Watkins done a whole pile wrong. And uh, I think if anyone needs to be blamed for that goal mode situation, it was Sam Goddess, the, the Brentford player. Why he ran in and tried to drag Brent, um, Watkins out of the goal mode is beyond me. And, uh, and that's where the referee, for me, that's where the referee lost control. The referee should have stepped in there instead of giving you a look at and it was the build to everything else. Um, Ollie Watkins well run his rights. If you're in the crowd and you're after 10 beers and you're starting to shout at the players and one of them scores <laughs> and they look at you and point at their head, that's on you, Matt. Yeah, I loved it. But, I loved it. Yeah, but it's the Brentford players should have kept control there more than anything. And Smithy goes on to say, you know, about Martin, uh, Martinez and, or is it one for all and all for one? Um I think it's one for all and all for one when you all get together and, and, and um, take care of each other. But when you're taking these individual choices to put a hand in a face, to pick players up, to do different things like that, that actually feels a bit selfish to me, to be honest. Um, I, I think, like, personally, what Martinez done was stupid. What Kamara done, I actually genuinely do think Kamara ran in there to defuse the situation, but yeah. he lost the run of himself and he ended up catching him on with a jaw. And anyone that says that Martin, uh, that Camara's red should be overturned, it, it shouldn't. Like you no. can't, you can't catch him. But I, I do actually feel a little bit sorry for Camara because I think he actually ran in with good intentions, but it just situation diverse. Because if you watch the video, he actually tried to pull Mopai up as well. And I'm starting to kind of think, why did you even do that, Camara? You know, don't even. But uh, on on Instagram, Camara made an apology. He said, uh, "Sorry about the red." Um, yeah, love I that. love playing for this club. And the first comment under it was Emmy saying, sorry, bro. So, you know, that they're was... all on the one page. I don't think pressure is getting to them at all. No. I think oh. um, that might change in April, May when things are getting serious. At the moment, I think I think it's um, they're all under control. I My just team. think I just think that Emmy is probably playing to the gallery a little bit. That's what he does. But if the pressure's getting us to us in March and April, yeah. what a season we've had. Exactly, mate. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Wow. Um, 
Paul, do you think the the pressure's getting to them? I, I don't think I wouldn't take it off that situation because I think I think Emmy does that in League League Three, like uh, lad, the wrong, wrong tree of the League Cup. If, if he would have done it, he would have done it. Someone provoked him, you know. Yeah. But he needs to learn not to be provoked like that. Now I don't know how the pressure's getting us to to us when we've beaten Man City, we've we've played poorly against Arsenal and won, and we've been the second best team in a lot of aspects. Um, uh, well, not not if you're looking at stats, but what I tell you that? what, though, Paul. Camaro's a massive loss over Christmas. Huge. Huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, thankfully, Louise and Tillemans are probably back the next game. But no, none of them can do what Camaro can do. Louise has been our best player all season. It has to be between Martinez, Watkins, McGinn and Louise. I, I don't think anyone will dispute that. But I think you can. Throw I don't think this mix, team right? is the same. Sorry? I think you can throw someone else in the mix. I, mean, I hate to say it. I, I think a certain Jamaican is one of the best players in the team at the moment. Oh, I think he's had a huge impact. I wouldn't call him like over the full season. I think, I think, nah, you know, you're right, you're right. He's in class. But I just don't think this team functions the same low Camara. Uh, no, if we're going to win the league or make up for, we need Camara. Hey, let's get some results. To be honest, we need Camara and Louise together. If I'm let's honest. get some results without him and let him rest up. It could be a Does he need a rest? He's just back from suspension. I know, know, I know, I know. But uh, look, um, a certain person on this pod has a certain, you know, partner or wife, and she's continued on. Uh, Jonathan Northall says, good question. Martinez doesn't seem happy unless the opposition have gone tilt. And I think he uses it to dominate. I kind of think he does get inspired by people giving him grief. He loves uh, it. He does. He loves it. And then Danny Elise, I think that's right? the Argentinian mentality too, though. It is. It is. And it's a really good um, observation there, Jonathan. Thank you for that. Danny Elise asks, uh, it's a great question. So she doesn't ask that. She makes a statement. Great question. And on the back of this and Josh's comment, if the pressure is getting to the boys in general and can only imagine the heightened anxiety the wings have brought, how do we keep a lid on it? McGinn seems very level-headed, but who are the other senior players who help bring the team back into focus? Um, I'm going to say right now that uh, once Camaro comes back from suspension, you're not going to see a peep out of him. You're only going to see performances because yeah. I think I think I think Emery recognizes how important Camaro is. Camaro is not going to be a shouter. He's going to do it on the pitch. Who are the big influences? Paul Torres is going to be huge. Yeah, yeah. Kanza is going to be huge. Yep. And John again. And I yeah. think there's someone up. I think there's someone up. Front. And Watkins, yeah. You're, yes, you're dead right, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Straight to the point. Yeah. Um, sure, uh, Showing a lot of maturity, Watkins actually. So yeah, really enjoying that. Um, uh, Paul. Um, I just want to touch off Bailey. Incredible, isn't he? Like, I mean, like he deserves more credit than any of those players. Oh. Because let's be honest, this podcast has been, you know, myself and Rhino have obviously been admirers for a long time, but just hoping that he would do what he's done. Like, I think we need to give him kudos. He's been unbelievable, yeah. hasn't he? Look, and you're hearing me who was slating him. I wasn't slating his ability. No, I was it was effort from you. Yeah, you know, his, 100%. His work ethic. I, I cannot handle a shit work ethic, whether it's my kids not picking up their clothes or someone I work with, right? I in cannot... fact, though, Paul, I actually think you said to me one night in the pod, it annoys you more about Bailey because you know he has the talent. Yes. Yeah. And you, you don't fall over when you lose the ball. And he's doing that less and less and less. I just think he's having a ball right now, you know, for lack of... Do you know what's funny, though? I've seen a huge stat a while ago, and I think this is hilarious. There was a, a goals and assists stat a while ago. 
that I seen on a Facebook page. And it was like Bakaya Saka, six 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 goals, oh, five yeah. assists. Yep. Bailey, five goals, five assists, eight hundred mi- minutes less paid. Isn't that mad? It's just and like Saka's like the golden boy that he's been putting every Premier League team in the season. <laughs> let's um let's you know what we give a lot of credit to Emery, but let's give credit to the players who've decided to yes. take on whatever they've taken on. And Bailey, oh, look, if I could apologize to him now. I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I'd, I'd probably say to him, I'm really proud of you pulling up your socks and working hard. You're doing amazing. I don't think I'd actually... I've got nothing to apologise for. Would no, 100%. You're dead right. And, and you know, you know something that we're very proud of, Paul, me and you pulled in the, uh, the pre-season tour in America. Remember we said that uh, Yuri Tillemans will turn out to be an unbelievable signing. I'm it so... turning I'm, out in that, Alec. He... he, he he has found his place in behind that striker. Wow. And, and, and they, you know, these players were having slight, what you know, what we might consider slightly bad runs. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, I, the press was saying that Tillemans was upset and this, that and the other. But I didn't see that. All I've seen is a player work hard. And Doesn't that yeah. tell you they have a good coach, though? Like, you yeah. know, like, as in, like, you know, someone that's, He's obviously told Tillemans, you're in my plans, but you need to do this, this and this. Once you do this, this and this, you'll be in my team. For any manager to be able to, to pull their record signing like uh, Moussa de Riyabi off at half time or their, when they stick their neck out and take Nicola Zaniolo on loan, but yet pull him off at half time two games in a row. That tells you, you're there, he's there for the long haul. You know, it's not, he's not there for himself, he's there for the club. I said to you a while back, mate, that I think Emery could be a ten or fifteen year uh, gaffer at that at Villa, and I said it to you guys, and I and I really believe. I mean, he's played, he's he's coached in Spain, he's managed in Spain, he's managed in England. What better thing than to be a long term manager at any club and and a club with the storied history of Villa, you know. I just don't see where else he would, unless something goes dramatically wrong, I don't see where else he'd want to be in the next few years. I just think, Paul, that, like, you know, he, he took Villarreal, a, a city, like a town, sorry, I, I say city, but a town that has, like, I think it's like 65,000 population or something. Yep. He took that club to the Champions League semi final. They did not have the funds to go for, right? Sevilla. They've won three, they've won four Europa League, but three under his stewardship, him and Manji, right? So he's done this with clubs that aren't the top in their country, right? But they didn't have the funds or the structure to go to the next level. Like, he doesn't get talked about like Pep and Ancelotti or like uh, Mourinho or any of them. He's won 11 major trophies. He's gonna, his aim is to do something that none of the rest of them have done before. I think his aim is to win a Champions League with a club like Villa. Take them from relegation battle to the Champions League. And that's going to be his coaching legacy. And would you bet against him? I've got goosebumps, mate. I think this is it. This is it. A friend of mine there, like uh, two, two, two of my best mates, like one's a United fan and the other's a Chelsea fan, you know. They actually come to a lot of games when I fly home and stuff. Brilliant. I love the two lads. They they always joke with me like they'd send me jokes. They'd, oh, what's how sack now? Emery's taking over. Ten Hag's gone and stuff. 
and then they always say to them, this is it. He's been handed the keys to the castle of Villa, something he's never, ever, ever had. This is it, man. He's going to do something. This is legacy, Paul. He's going to take a club from 18, 17th in the league under Gerrard to Champions League. He's going to win the Champions League because he's taken Villarreal in a similar place but got them to the semi-finals of the Champions League, winning wow. the Europa League along the way. But he just didn't have the finances to do that final step. He does a Villa. Mate, we've we, we got two more questions and we'll quickly cover Sheffield. We've been on here for a while tonight. And I've loved it, mate. Um, Omar Haji... Great work as always, gents. Couple of questions. What's been your highlight of the past 12 months? Could be an individual goal, game, moment of brilliance, or something else, dealer's choice. So we'll answer this one first. So I'm going to let you go first, bud. What's yeah. been your highlight of the past 12 months? Um, can I be honest? Yep. For me, the ultimate highlight for me this year was Emery's first game, beating last season, beating Manchester United in his first game. 3-1 first time we've beaten them at Villa Park in 27 years yeah. uh, depressing after what happened at, under Gerrard um, we beat Brentford 4-0 uh, under the caretaker managers Neil Cutler and uh, just unreal and then but then we lost 4-0 to Brent, uh, we beat Brentford 4-0 but then we lost 4-0 to Newcastle away yep Emery came in Two days later, 3-1. We beat Manchester United 3-1 in the uh, first game of Emery. First time in 27 years that we beat Mold Traveller. And for me, that was the beginning. That was the day I knew that we had a classic manager in charge. That, to me, has been the highlight so far. Oh, I'm, that's a great one. Because it's really such a tone. I'm, I'm going to honour test with my answer, okay? Um, warning for you. I'm going to give a two-part answer for this one, okay? My actual game highlight was beating City when I just never thought we'd dominate a team like City the way we did. So that's my game highlight because that was one of the most complete Villa performances I've seen in my life. And, and we just dominated the European champions like not many teams have ever done. Um, we, no we, team has ever done it since Man City had no. that money. No, and, and no, no one's ever done it to uh, Pep, to Pep like that. So that was my game highlight. That's that's the one that brought me to tears. Um, the actual highlight right now, besides talking to you, is we're one point off the top of the Premier League after seventeen games. It's unreal. I, I, I just can't. I'm just, mate. I just can't. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. That's my actual highlight. Is to look at the ladder non-stop, look at the table non-stop, going. We're one point off top. You know what they talk about title chases. We're in it right now. Like whether we stay there or not, we are in it. Stop asking the question. You're one point off top after 17 games. That's not a fluke. That's 17 games. Paul, Paul, my best mate at home, like he's a big Man United fan. I, I flew home last year for hey, you remember? I flew home to be best yeah. man at his wedding. Yeah. He's coming to the Villa and Liverpool game at the end of the season, you know, uh, last home game of the season. And he was like, I don't care what happened to United this year. Obviously, my focus is on United. But he was like, if Villa can clinch Champions League or win the league like uh, at against Liverpool, boys, I'm at that game. He says, I'll be so happy for Villa. Like, he goes, he's actually going to Villa and United as well, Boxing Day on the 26th. 
So, like, we're getting a couple of neutrals behind us, you know, because United fans are those fans that we didn't. But because they're out of the league, they're rooting for us against City, Arsenal, and Liverpool, you know? Of course, of course. They're like, they, they want to, like, you know, and I, I loved that. Like, Gavin was saying, I love to see you do because, you know, United obviously are stuttering and Chelsea are stuttering, and my two best buddies are Chelsea and United, you know? And, like, they're like, I want to see Villa do it. Like, they probably won't. But the fact that they are, we're rooting for them, you know, and I love that because we have. I love the fact football. we have we haven't had that as Villa fans. The last time we had that was ninety eight. And I love that it's true. And I love the fact that um all of us keep going. Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant! Brilliant! We probably won't win. Like <laughs> it's 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 so Villa. It's so Villa. We're the only supporter base that I know that could go. Oh, I'd love to! I'd love to! I'd love to! I don't think we're going to, but I'd love to. Like, you oh, don't, I don't you... think though it's the fact that we're the only the the, the only fan base that would do that. But but it's the fact that seventeen games. I think Liverpool, Arsenal, and Man City they've earned the right to be in the conversation. Oh yeah, well, you know, and 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 and. But I think when you look at the stats over calendar year, Villa have earned their right to be there. You know. Yeah. Um, but I think fast. I think I can understand if other clubs are kind of thinking Villa will die off. I thought the same about Leicester in 2016, even though I think Leicester and Villa are different situations personally. But it's a different the fact, that, the fact that we've Man United fans and stuff rooting for us to do it. Like I love that. I just love that. I mean, like I'm the same with some other clubs that people might disagree with. You know, like if we couldn't win it, I would love to see a team like Tottenham or someone like I, I just I'd yeah. love to see someone someone to up, upset the apple cart, like yeah, yep. That that's that's you, you know they're gone so bad. You'd nearly if we had a bad season, you'd nearly fucking prefer to see them win. <laughs> oh my god, that's scary. Um, now, second part of Omar's question. Is and given where we are in December 2023, if you could jump in your DeLorean or TARDIS, both great choices, and go back to 2021, would you have held on to Jack Grealish if the minimum transfer fee clause didn't exist? Um, I'll go first on this one. Uh, no, because we are where we are, and a big part of that was the sale of Jack Grealish that, that helped with financial fair play and a few other things. So, as much as Jack, Jack um, has been amazing. He's gone on to City and he's enjoying his time there and he's won things that he wouldn't have won with Villa if he'd stayed with us. So, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have kept Jack. I was gutter when Jack Grealish left. I, uh, yep. I make no bones about that. And I was almost pissed off with him as well. Like, but looking back, the man made the absolute right choice of his career at the time. He didn't deserve to go through what Stephen Gerrard put us through. He didn't deserve that, so he skipped all that. He went and won a treble. Um, sad to see what Pep's doing when I'm making him a structural footballer. Um, he's won the treble. No. Um, do I regret Villa selling him the time? And as Paul has touched off, no, I don't, because FFP has been huge. When I look at him now, would I bring him back? Probably not, because I think uh, Jacob Ramsey can actually hit the same kind of stats as Grealish did. Oh, mate. Oh, oh, you know what? If we were offered Jack Grealish back on loan in January, I'd take him in a heartbeat. Because no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. I, I'd no, say, well, I, uh, I would never turn him down because I think he'd give back and give absolutely everything for this club more than he ever gave for a Man City. But I do think that Ramsey will probably end up with better stats over the career as in goals and assists. No yeah. one's ever going to create as much chances as he did. 
Um, Jeez, imagine, imagine right now though. Imagine Diaby, um, uh, Watkins, and Bailey um, having Jack um, squirt out to the left and then cut back inside. Imagine the service these boys would be getting from uh, Jack. Can Lewis. you imagine the freedom Grealish would get with fucking Kamara and Louise just sitting there dominating? The confidence oh, would not have to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, look, I don't think he's ever going to come back to Villa. And, no. and um, do I regret selling him? No. No, because it was the right call at the time, and it's made us win, get to where we are. But it was a win-win for him and the club. So, um, oh, I see people on Twitter saying, uh, "Oh, do you think? How, how do you think Jack's feeling now?" Well, I think Jack will be feeling satisfied because after what he's seen about the Gerard situation, he made the right call. The man won a treble. Your football career is short, you know, and no one can ever take that away from him. Do I think at some point he'll end up back at Villa Park? I think so. He probably will. But he might be 33, 34 and it'll be a, like a, like a Rooney situation where it'll probably be more of a kind of a commemoration thing and a marketing thing as opposed you know, to most of a change the season kind of thing. Like I, I think we'll have moved well beyond that. I, know I don't think he'll be at Villa Park ever again. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah hopefully. Going to um, rock away, we won't need him. I don't mean that. Yeah. Any sort on him, yeah, and yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And, and and like you know, you look at John McGinn coming from championship to the Tyrone Mings. I actually hope Tyrone Mings gets to play some kind of game, even off the bench this season, because they deserve it. They've been there from championship to now, yep. And someone no one's spoken about as well is Bundia. Um, you know, missing as well. You know, that that's someone who keeps going under the radar. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But look, final question, Josh. It's more of a statement, Josh. Donish, you're on your chef. McGinn seems to be a real leader. I love how he reacted at Kamara for getting sent off. What's your views on it? Similar to Mark, I feel Emmy didn't need to do it. So we've covered that, and and I think McGinn's reaction was what you want to see from a Villa leader. I, I really love the way he's going about everything. Uh, I owe uh, an apology to Stephen Gerrard right now. I remember at the time. No, there's a lot of things I don't owe an apology to Stephen Gerrard for. He probably owes me an apology as a fan for. But the one thing I will say is, I thought he was crazy to take the captaincy off Tyrone Mings and give it to John McGinn. I'm not saying that was the right call at the time, because I still think it was the wrong call. But he obviously seen leadership qualities in John McGinn that I didn't see. And John McGinn has turned out to be an absolutely fantastic captain for Aston Villa. Um, and now looking at it, maybe it was the right call to leave Tyrone Mings not be the captain and let him focus on his football because Tyrone Mings last year, for me, was the player of the year. Yeah. Once once Gerard fucked off under Emery last year, for me, Tyrone Mings was the player. So Gerard done a lot wrong, but the leadership qualities he's seen in John McGinn turns out he was right. You know, uh, John McGinn has turned out to be a fender. And I, for one, can put my hand up and say I was wrong. Because I thought it was a ridiculous decision. Because yeah, same. Yeah, and and uh, I just I couldn't understand where it's coming from. I got so angry the fact that he wanted to take Tyrone Mings on. I'm still angry about that because I don't think that was right. Just because you see one is the better captain the other, I don't think you need to belittle someone for that. I that but was it turns out that John McGinn, as captain, was an unbelievable show from Stephen Gerrard, and he continued under Emery and. What a captain we have. And you're right, uh, Josh Donaghy. The first thing 
that McGinn did. He ran over. He didn't have a goal at Kamara. He had a goal at Emmy for starting the whole situation. He had a goal at a World Cup winner. He didn't care about reputation. He had a John McGinn, Scottish international, who's won nothing, but he's captain of Aston Villa. He had a goal at Emmy Martinez, World Cup winner. This is our club. You do not act like that. Blah, blah. And I love the videos of it because that shows leadership qualities. And you know what's even better? He had done an interview after and he said, I will not accept tea talk, which is title talk, at the training ground. Love that. Captain material. Yep. Yep, absolutely, mate. So, look, we've got a game on Saturday morning to go top of the Premier League against Sheffield United at Villa Park. Mate, let's just let's just give a score. We've, we've had a long podcast. Let's just give a score prediction for this one, mate, and just, you know... Uh, okay. Yes. Four nil, four nil Villa. Um, two to Watkins. Um, one to Diaby, and uh, cuts back inside. The fourth goal is Bailey comes on, goes onto his left. Everyone thinks he's going to be on his left. Cuts back onto his right and slots it past the keeper uh, on the inside. The keeper should have made a save. But it puts us 4-0 up. And for the last 20-odd minutes, we, we, we have complete control when it's 4-0. Uh, it's going to be 3-1 for me. We're going to go 1-0 up to Ali. Cameron Arch is going to make it 1-0, just, or one all, just to make sure that uh, Emery remembers who he is. And then Ali Watkins is going to complete his hat-trick, 3-1 Villa. I'm really disappointed in that scoreline, mate. Um, I'd be, I think... Um, Martinez will be absolutely annoyed if we concede a goal in this one. I, I, I'm very annoyed at that scoreline. I think three one. I think three points in the bag. Uh, I'd be very disappointed if we don't get anything other than three points in this game. Three one, I reckon. I don't think it is arrogance to say that you know a team on third of the ladder with the 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 amount of goals that we're scoring at home. And and and. I think I don't think it is arrogance to expect us with a plus twenty goal difference at home, eight wins from eight this year, playing Sheffield United, who honestly at the moment cannot score. For you know, and their away form, um, they have conceded twenty two goals uh, away from home and scored four goals. I've would... seen um I've seen Chris Wilder under Sheffield United though they're a lot tighter than Sheffield United under uh, uh under Paul Hacking bottom oh, and they are going to try and frustrate us. What's going to really bode well for us is that we start games so well this year. I think we could be up early and that will change everything for Sheffield United. The longer they can frustrate us, um, is going to be going to be the sit deep. And, and it's going to be to frustrate us for as long as they can and hope for a counter attack. Um, they might only have two or three shots for the whole game, is my feeling. But if we score early, the floodgates will absolutely open. Yeah, I reckon 3-1. 3-1, Arch is going to score. And uh, I think he'll get no clap from the Villa as well. But you know what? We're going to get three points. We're going to march into the top of the league, ball. Oh, my God. Even for a few hours, mate. Even for a and few then, hours. And then the week, uh, and then, then a night later, Arsenal Liverpool is going to be one of us. We're going to go into Christmas, top of the league. <laughs> That's all I want for Christmas. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, oh, man. Mate. 
I tell you what, I just want to put that. I always put the ladder up for our results and where we are and everything. Right? Imagine if we're on top for even. Oh, I don't, I don't know, Spud. It feels like we were asked the question what our greatest moment would be in the past, you know, twelve months to be on top of the Premier League, even for a week, would be the greatest. I think it'd be the greatest moment of my Villa sporting uh, following, mate, to be honest. Uh, if we finish top of the league come Christmas, I'm going to send a present to Tom Kearney for his goal against Fulham in the playoff final that we lost in 2018. <laughs> <Right>. But mate, <laughs> like, the man that made it all possible. Every <laughs> was border, unless they were bought a ticket for the game at Sheffield United for Christmas. That would be our ultimate Christmas, uh, Christmas gift. And in fact, to our listeners who have been the best bunch of listeners anyone could ever hope for, um, that'll be our Christmas present to you come come Saturday morning. Guys, um, just before we wrap up, I just want to say from myself, Paul, and Rhino and Tess, obviously, family got in the way, the lads couldn't make it tonight. Thank you, everybody, for listening tonight. Unbelievable. Um, but maybe possibly the last part of the year, but... It, into the new year, Paul. We're looking forward to doing Aussie Villa podcast throughout the year, aren't we? And it's just like, how positive is it at the moment? Well, we 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 started this podcast with with no expectations. Um, just four people who barely knew each other that loved Villa, um, and the the listenership we've got, which is is growing all the time. Um, we don't even do it for that. We do it because we all love Villa. But every single one of you who listen, every single one of you who comments and asks the most brilliant questions, honest love we have for all of you and this club, I, I, I honestly, I, I do love you all and I, and I cannot believe you're part of this journey with us. And if we can be top of the league at Christmas, I, I just, yeah, I think you've said really well, Spud. Paul, I just like to say as well, like um, yourself, yourself created all this, and you you brought myself and uh, Rhino and Tess into this community, and you've built a massive community around the the Aussie Villa podcast. And Paul, it's been a pleasure to be on your podcast, man. And I know Rhino and Tess feel the same. And look look at some of the listeners we have, man: Josh Dunshee, Mark Smith, Jonathan Nartall, um, Billy oh, Wiz. You know, uh, yeah. I can't think of the rest. Uh, Paddy Kelly. You know, like. Regulars, man, they've just done so well. We get new listeners every week, and it's just it's been a pleasure, it's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, a lot I love jumping on here. Look, it gets hard at times. We said sometimes Paul can't, sometimes I can't, sometimes Rhino can't, sometimes uh, Tess can't. But the love of this podcast always stays the same, and not right, Paul. Merry Christmas, buddy, and to your wonderful family, to every one of our listeners. And please have a safe and enjoyable. Be kind to each other and and let's just hope that our gift is uh, top of the ladder after 18 rounds. And more than anything, up the villa. Mate, I'm going to do a straight edit now. I'm not even going to add anything in. That was an hour and a half. I'm going to edit the 